Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Swisspreneur. Today we are meeting with Rosamarie Michel. She's an extraordinary woman, which is already 87 years old. I want to go and chat with her about her life and all the things she experienced. Let's go and pick her up. Yeah, Rosemary, it's such a pleasure to be here. We are here at a very important place to you. Could you explain us a little bit about this house, this historical house we are at? It was, first of all, 1869. My grand-grandfather bought this house for his young wife because he wanted to give her an opportunity to, uh, to establish a bakery, patisserie, which means there was no coffee. At that time, the coffee didn't exist. Yeah. Coffee did exist, but not, not here. You know, to serve outside. And then they did rebuild the house, and it was uh, it grows and grows. And my mother took it over as the went to third generation, and I took it afterwards from her over to the fourth generation. Yeah. That means that we had really the business in the house. Also, the bakery was here. And uh, here was a resort for papers and, you know, uh, emballage and all these sort of things. And uh, the upper floors were where we lived. But then, of course, as my brother went away and married, and we had people, of course, not anymore in the... Uh, they were not having meals in our um, floor. So that means we had to, to small it. And then we had a, an excellent architect, and we were, and together we organized the whole house. And it's still for me a refugium, something where I can retire, where I'm totally independent because it is my ground. And I tried also to influence uh, what is around. I was uh, probably, you saw the little pedestrian bridge, mm -hmm. which goes from the Limatke over to the Globus. And um, that's one of my masterpieces. Wow. So you built the bridge to the city <laughs> for yourself. <laughs> no, but, but we need it, you know, in this restructuring with the Limat and uh, the Globus and all these. We had like a lake. Yeah. But Zurich is not a, is a lake city at the lake, mm -hmm. but at the river, it's a river city, and we had always on both parts of the bridge, there were buildings, and that was completely wrong mm -hmm. to have this vast lake district, and so we did build a, a bridge. Right. <laughs> and we had to persuade, of course, all our uh, political um, responsibles, and we had to raise money. To, to do that. Yeah. Um, I would like to start with um, the American government because I know that you have been meeting with Mrs. Clinton and you had an encountering with Mr. Reagan. <laughs> and today we almost read every day about the new American government and administration in the newspaper. Um, so do you, what do you think? What is the impact we have right now from the American government in a world situation. Are you happy with it how it is or would you rather have Mrs. Clinton which you met at the leading front of the United States? First I would tell you short where I met Mrs. Clinton. I was for microcredits in Dili 
and we had an international meeting there and she was one of our guest speakers and I met her a second time in Beijing when there when the UN women's meeting was and we had on the basic of women to women or woman to woman we had a substantial discussion and nothing of this theatrical movements when you have to be elected. And I personally think she anyway would have been better as this disaster we have now. <laughs> but I think that should, in America you should find a person who could be a president, female or male. That's for me totally not to discuss because I think it should be the most valuable one. And I think it's I was very disappointed about the States. I was very fond of American way of life, but I missed to know this, uh, to know the, the whole society of middle America. I was always at the coast, mm -hmm. and there I had an excellent cooperation, of course. And I think that's what we neglected uh, to think about it, because I was totally disappointed when I saw what happened. And I think it's for the, as we call it in my generation, for the free whale, uh, for the free um, countries, it is a disaster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, what do you think would be different if uh, Hillary Clinton would be ruling the United States? I think the, the thing which would be different is the behavior. She would never be so vulgar, and she would never be so selfish. Yeah. And that's maybe something we see with presidents, male presidents, like a little bit everywhere in the world that is coming up and is like, if we think about Russia and if we think about the pressure and the, the dynamics that we have. So like more women would be maybe, as we have in Germany, would maybe help to relax the situation and to find more peaceful solutions. I think we need more than, I mean, I'm, I'm very happy that you mentioned that you would prefer to have more women. But what I think is the mentality has to change and you have to, to make it on, on the ground first and then you can elect whatever you like. But I think... Uh, Mrs. Merkel was very, a very substantial help for us mm -hmm. and also for Germany and for Europe. That's really something very special. Right. Um, you had an encounter with Mr. Reagan, a former president. Could you tell us a little bit out of that? Uh, the conclusion is that you can everywhere with everybody have a conversation when you have a good argument. And he, I don't know, as he was uh, as president, I don't think he was a very good president. He had a very capable woman who was acting uh, on the backside. And um, we had a meeting at the White House. We were invited as a, as a group. It was the International Congress of uh, Business and Professional Women. And I was at that time the vice chair. And um, our group came back at an odd time, and I said, what happened to you? And then they said, well, we couldn't enter the White House because they had something different. And I said, but we had a, 
an invitation, an official invitation. And I was at the, at the meeting of the, of the executive and uh, the telephone rang and I took it over and then there was on the other side, here is the White House. And then I said, that is a joke. And it is some from the White House. It's calling us. <laughs> no, it wasn't a joke. It was the secretary. And she said, uh, Mr. President would like to apologize for this disaster. And uh, he would like to come tomorrow. And I said, well, that's very nice. Thank you very much. But tomorrow we are booked up. But after tomorrow would be very good. And he came after tomorrow. OK. And then, we, then I had to open the meeting because my president at that time had to welcome Mr. President. And I had, when I opened it, of course, I said, we have now to be ready for the visit of Mr. President. And then he was after sitting next to me. And then he said, um, well, you are from Switzerland. That's nice, country." And I said, I don't think you know that. You have never been to Switzerland. Otherwise, our news never published anything. And then he said, no, you are right. Well, and on this space, we had a very nice conversation. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I always think it's when you start to talk to people, it starts also to give some relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's very important for me. Something which is also very important for you are role models, which is not very typical for Switzerland. So you had role models in your life. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your personal role models? Why were they your role models? Why did you choose them or did it just happen? Did you not really actively choose them? Most activities and very often decisions of my life have been taken away from me because it just happened. You were very right with your expression. Now the role models, uh, I'm lucky, my generation is lucky that we had above us a generation of innovative personalities, independent because they were in the economy, they had industrial uh, also uh, fabrics or things like that, and they, had, they always wanted to change something and they always gave a lot of time and money for projects. Now, of course, they needed somebody, and they never asked if I have time or if I can do it. They just involved me. Yeah. And involvement is the best thing to learn. And with this involvement, I got quite far in helping. The support I had from this generation, and that was first my mother. Mm -hmm. She was, of course, an example for me. Then it was, uh, you know the name, it's Elizabeth Seller from Horgen, who had this large factory which still exists. That are the shifts, right, for uh, switching on the lights. Yeah. Feller company. They, like almost everyone knows them, I guess. Yes, yeah. that's why the name is so. It's also her <laughs> signature. Okay. <laughs> and she, she never asked me if I could do something. And she just said, we have now a project. Would you like to be involved? And I think you do that better because you know that and that. And I did the whole organization without being a member of the organization. So yeah. that was really an excellent practice. And it was like a flow, you know, all these people, men and women, took me around. Mm -hmm. And then I was, the second thing which helped a lot is that in the 70s, after 71, when in Switzerland women got the vote, the, of course, all companies who had some prestige wanted to vote one woman. 
on the board yeah. of directors. Mm-hmm. And then they were searching, and it was very difficult because we didn't have many... Exposure. Uh, yes, and we didn't have people who were experienced in managing or in, in having firms or whatever it is. And then, of course, for uh, what all, all is retail, I was quite a person who was wanted. Because of your background with, uh, with the shorter? Not only shorter, I was at that time already also uh, in the hotellery. Mm-hmm. I was uh, on the board of the ZFV, mm-hmm. which yep. you have an idea what it is. Right. And uh, I was already also in the, Swiss, in the Zurich planning committee for the city. And I had already, you know, some activities which were meaningful for uh, responsibility. For women at that time, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then, like, what was the first, um, the first company that approached you, like the bigger ones? Uh, the, fir- the very first one was the ZFV, and the, then the first one officially was Valora, Valora, or at that time that was Mercur. Yeah. We changed the name. And they mainly approached you because they felt that they need a woman. But that's not something which helps you to say yes, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> the, it was the um, staff members, the female staff members, yeah. They were asking for a female on the board of directors. Yeah. And of course you can't always say no. Mm-hmm. And after the third assembly, annual assembly, they decided we must have a woman. Okay. And then we were two candidates. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. They were just and then they asked if I would be willing. I said no. I would like to know first of all who are the members of the board of directors. And I would like to see uh, all the results from the last three years. And I would like to visit a few of your uh, filiales. How did they react to yeah. that? That's what I did. And then after two weeks, I said, OK, that interests me if I can make a contribution. And then we had another obstacle. They had uh, an intern committee of, of four people who decided and then the decision were presented at the board. And I said, you know, I'm not there to accept decisions of us as committee members. We are making the decisions. And uh, that's, I'm not losing time with that. And they were so afraid that they would go back that they did. Cut rid of the committee. Yeah, so I think that's something which is very unique about you, that you have your mindset, you have your values. And often I have the feeling that a lot of people in my generation, maybe a little bit more female than male, but a lot of them, they don't stick to their values. They are so impressed by titles or if someone like Valora would ask that they don't say, I want to have three years of um, of uh, booking um, results, I want to have uh, different uh, uh, informations, I want to see the shops and so on. So what what made you to really stick with that? Was it just sheer um, self-confidence or why did you, why, how, 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 how did you manage to be that firm? I think it is my, my education. We had, I mean, my parents were both 
um, working people. I mean, they had their own firms, but they had to prove every day that they were able to have staff to uh, finance their affairs and all these sort of things. That was one thing. And the second thing is, I think it was the pragmatism of my mother, mm -hmm. who also in the business never said, you must do that or you must do it like that. And that means that in, I developed like that um, a policy, which is I have to rely on that what I can and what I could decide mm -hmm. and what are my gifts or all these sort of things. And we never tried to achieve something outside. I never achieved a doctorate. Mm -hmm. I'm a guest of honor at the University of Zurich, but don't ask me why. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Just came to you? I was so astonished. Yeah. No, it was a, a, an extremely nice experience. Mm -hmm. Also human being, yeah. very, very beautiful. And um, all these sort of things happened to me and I had to survive. I think it's a question how I could implement all these tasks. I could it all only if I tried to sort it out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was, that was very strong in my life when you see what I had all together. I'm at the moment I try to, <clears throat> to order my papers mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I'm astonished what this person collected as papers in doing things which were very strange. <laughs> and um, that means time consuming. Right, right. Um, and when you um, think about your mother, like your mother gave you this, this very um, precious quality of being firm, um, are there any other things that you believe that your mother gave you along? I think she was an example in also sacrificing her life for what she had to do. She had to take over the, uh, the business. Mm -hmm. There was uh, her sister didn't want to and there was nobody else. And uh, he was, she was a very devoted also family mother and wife. Mm -hmm. My father had another business. And in the evening, for example, she just went to his business if it was necessary to help or to support. And on the other hand side, uh, she liked life in a very good way. And uh, she made me a partner in the business. Mm -hmm. Even in my age, that didn't mean anything. She just thought I should do that and that was all right. There are a lot of people who just gave you the believing that you can achieve everything. That's what I have the feeling. And one was Mrs. Feller, right? Like who yes. put you in roles where maybe yeah. were a little bit too big at that time, but sure. somehow you managed sure to Sure, it was too big. Yeah. Sure. And, and is there anything else about Mrs. Feller you said, you can say, which gave you the the how should I say, the toolbox that you have, like a special tool that Mrs. Feller was providing to your life or a lesson she taught you? I think she told me a lesson through her life 
She was a successful businesswoman and she never neglected to care about culture and people. And I think that's what impressed me very much and what gave me also the confidence that all three things together would be worthful for a normal life. The only thing I refused was the politics. Mm -hmm. yeah, they tried several times to yeah, get you into of, a, of, of course. A, a role here. I was so nearby. <laughs> yeah, but you, you said, every time you said no, there were always reasons, right, that you said yes. no to a political of course. mandate. And I, I just saw that, I mean, also my capacity is limited. Right. Maybe moving on to um, certain things I see and I find very incredible with uh, a, a woman like you who has passed through several generations already and I see, see this, this, these skills missing in my generation. It's something like to talk in front of people. Like <laughs> maybe if you're looking back the first time someone told you you have to, to, to do a speech in front of an audience can you remember that moment? Oh, yes, I can. I became president of the Ancien de l'Ecole, the gymnast. And um, I refused the job because I said I um, have no capacity to speak uh, in public. And then I was assured through three people, two past presidents and, and um, a board member, that I would never uh, be forced to speak in public. All right. Now we had the first annual meeting. The first person had to go to Sweden because her husband, as a manager of uh, Swiss life, had to be there for business. Off she was. The second one was pregnant and the baby came too, too quickly. That was not her fault. And the third one got ill. And I was staying there and nobody cared about it. And then I thought, well, I'll try. And I wrote that down a few notes and all these sort of things. And you know now the house, four floors. I started every morning, half an hour earlier, to go to the business. And then I was citing my speech from the forts to the ground floor, from the ground floor to the forts and back again to learn it by heart. And then on Sunday, before it started, my sister-in-law, who was a friend of mine, said, you won't go on like that. You are always climbing up and down the staircase with your speech. That's Think of that. First of all, you have to take a deep, Schnoof, press. Yeah. And secondly, it is a conversation with the public. Mm -hmm. So I <laughs> stopped to walk down and up, up the, the staircase. <laughs> and it was in, in a very beautiful uh, surrounding in the Meisen. And there were 250 people, all the professors also from our college. And um, I started there and I deeply sort <laughs> um, through what I do. And then in the first row was my, my Greek professor. And he, <laughs> he just laughed loudly. And then I thought, well, 
I could just say hello to him. And I started to speak. And from that moment on, I was speaking. And, and did, you, did you then um, uh, speak what you prepared? No. No. I usually had a, a few fixed points which I had to care about because it was business. Mm -hmm. Then I always took something and always made a little story out of it. But I always tried to address my auditory. That was one of, I think, my strong sides. So you always saw it as a kind of dialogue between yeah. you and the audience. Yes. And not so much as I'm telling you something you never yeah. heard. That's one thing and I never read from from paper. Yes. I looked at them. You looked at the people. And I looked at that mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that helped a lot. Mm -hmm. And so a uh, public speaker was born at that moment, I guess. It was. <laughs> Something also which, uh, which comes to my mind when I'm thinking about you is that you have an incredible talent to deal with people, like to convince people, to, to negotiate with people. Is there something that has, is this skill, did, did that build over years or is it that something that you have from your first day? I didn't have it for, for, for the first day, but I was born up in a business, in a shop. We had to sell pastries or, or chocolates mm -hmm. or things like that. That means that my first argumentation whenever I helped in, in, in the business of my mother, I had to speak with the clients. And that's the best training. So little Rosemary, when did you start to actually sell chocolate in your store? At what age? <laughs> I, we weren't allowed to interfere in the business before we really helped in reality. Mm -hmm. That means uh, I was about 15 or something like that. It was besides the, the gymnast. But what I did before, on my, uh, the shop was open on Sunday, and I had, I was dressed up like Sunday, <laughs> and uh, I had to stand at the door and say, Okay, so you had like a lot, of, a lot of connections there. Yes, because all these people said, what a nice little girl, yeah. who are you? <laughs> all this sort. They started the discussions. But, or conversations. But what was for me, I think, essential is that I, in this house, we had every day in my childhood 15 people who were part of our daily life. And we had the first people from immigrants, uh, Italians, mm -hmm. and that's why I'm speaking Italian, because I have these melodies since my childhood. And um, we had, that was where I think learned my social competence. Because my, my parents pointed out that uh, we have a, a special duty, we have a special responsibility. We have to be nice and helpful, not only with the client, mm -hmm. also with all the staff members. And then we had men and women, of course, of, in the factory they were six pastry cooks and then we had also a cook and all these sort of things. Mm -hmm. And something that uh, I also uh, admire is your ability to manage crisis. 
like when there is something going wrong like i know that there was a crisis in athens when you were preparing something and then i know there was a crisis in montreux when you had an annual meetup could you like tell us one of, of of these two stories what happened and and how like how 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 you came up with this natural way of managing this crisis it's the practical side of my education we just had to do it yeah and that makes you a little bit more innovative than usual. And um, <laughs> the one in Athens, that was very nice. We had a reception for the diplomatic corps. And um, I was at that time already the vice chair. And when we entered the flat we hired, there, that was a used flat. And they didn't have any other. And I had 30 minutes. So I took my board, and everybody had a coin, also somewhere, a corner or, or a room, and we just covered everything with fresh towels, <laughs> fresh tradely, and all these sort of things, and it looked very nice afterwards. And we collected all the flowers in the hall, and we did put it around, <laughs> and uh, I went for the service, of course, for the snacks. Uh, to, to see if they are ready. Yes, they were ready. They were quite astonished when they came. They had a new flat where they had to serve. And then the diplomats came and we were ready. And they didn't realize how it looks 30 minutes no. before. No. Yeah. They couldn't. But that was really your, also maybe because you went to the Ecolotellerie in Lausanne. So that was really something that is part of your life. Like yeah. preparing something for guests, for for... Yes, and my family always had extremely uh, an, an open table, as we say. We had so many visits mm -hmm. in and out of the house all the time. And, the, and my mother didn't like to do household. Mm -hmm. So that means I had to try it. I didn't learn cooking. It was a disaster. Oh, really? Yeah. Where did you learn cooking? The cook, because yeah, now, the, the, now the, you are a great cook, right? Yeah, but, but the cook was once ill. I had to replace her because I was... At what the, age? The, 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 oh, then I was, I think, 14 or something like that. Yeah. And then I thought, well, I should try to find a menu which is easy to make. And I um, ordered sausages. Liver sausages, which mm -hmm. I think dreadful myself, but anyway, mm -hmm. and potatoes and um, apple pieces, and the soup first and dessert afterwards. What quite able to do? And then I said, "Well, that's something you do not have to sacrifice." And I went out of the kitchen, <laughs> in my office, okay. your clock. <laughs> <laughs> when I came back, all the sausages were, were burned or no, exploded, bursted. <laughs> Now, of course, I have here around very that's many the, That's many the advantage recipes. living at the Nitterdorf. Yeah, right? that, that was really that was marvelous. I went to the neighbor and bought 15 sausages, bratwurst. <laughs> yeah. And then it was saved. But after that, I decided that I have to take a real cooking course. And then I went for three months in a very exclusive cooking course. And they always tried to get recipes from me for desserts. And after a week I said, look, 
I'm here to learn something and not to give you all to share all the company secrets, right? <laughs> yeah. Because they knew that you are coming from Schulter and they yeah, thought yeah. they can learn from you. I'll try. I'm glad to give you sometimes, but please let me now really exercise in your kitchen and learn something. And mm -hmm. I'll learn a little bit of something. Maybe since a lot of uh, entrepreneurs or um, people who like to become entrepreneurs are also watching our episodes, I think it would be very interesting to hear how the um, shorter um, company then actually went out of the family tradition because there was no one who could actually take it over. Who didn't want to take it over. Yeah. And you didn't force someone because in some families the young ones are forced. Were you? Did you feel forced by your mother to no. take it over? No. And did you, was your mother forced to take it over? No. No. So it was always free will? Yeah. Okay, and how, how, how did that happen when you realized there is no one who will take it over? I spread the message around that I'm looking for a director, mm -hmm. female or mm -hmm. male. And then uh, and I gave me three years for that period. Then I got a few people who were interested and we never came to an end. And then my successor at the ZFV, mm -hmm. Nicola Fischer, mm -hmm. came one day and said, do you think that we could take that over? We would love to. Mm -hmm. and then I said, well, I have to think about it. And then we thought it out that the, the name will be preserved mm -hmm. and that the, the specialties, we have a few items who are very traditional for Zurich and we want it absolutely that they exist also for the future and uh, then they bought that. And how long was this ago? Ten years. Ten years and yeah. did that all persist? Are you happy yeah. with the decision? I'm very so happy. It worked out very well. It worked out well. And uh, I was very surprised. I had no difficulty to give it over. And did you make it in these three years in, within your plan? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. As always. Yeah. No, <laughs> no not at always. But yeah. I was, I mean, a little bit tired. And yeah. So it, it had also to yeah. come to an end. Yeah. Yeah. So something which uh, um, I think uh, we have to talk about is the women in business and the female you're still like uh, are taking a role in the female shift maybe we can call it this way um why do that's you the name of our think tank right <laughs> why why do you think it is that important that we support females in business now there are um, several items one is uh, a firm which has um, on the, on the top, a group, a mixed group, in generation, in culture, and also, of course, in uh, men and women, is more profitable than any other business. Mm -hmm. And that's proved. That's one thing. The second thing is we invested in the last two generation, generations a lot of money in women, in their education. They are extremely well educated now for professions or for whatever they do or for uh, for the sciences or all these sort of things or for the politics and uh, i think we owe the society now something that we to give back 
like that I'm meeting with someone who has the age of my grandmother is like very impressive for me and, <laughs> and having such discussions. So where does this energy come from and do you have some advice to us how we can preserve our energy that when I'm your age that I'm also still are in such a great shape? Do you like life? Yes, I love life. Okay. That's yeah, the best then recipe. It, then it comes on its own. But you sometimes also went over your capacity. capacity. You are very right. Yes. Then Can you help us to understand when you went over that capacity and maybe also what it did to you or with you? I just can give you a way how you can overcome it. It happens. You can't do anything on your own, you can't design all alone, you are in a world, you are a company, you are uh, partners, you can't uh, decide everything for your own. But what you can do is to preserve a few moments of uh, recreation. That's music, that's literature, that's friendship. And I think that's very important. And you should also have somewhere, I had that, somewhere a place where you are alone. Mm -hmm. I always had, that's why I like to drive a car, because I'm alone in my car. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's also something which yeah. is important. To, this to independence from also people you love. So do you, like when you speak about your car or about your apartment, your own flat, then it's something that are places, resources of energy for you, yeah. where you can reload, yeah. recharge the batteries. You always did. And the moment you realized that you went over your, your capacity or over your limits, what did you do at that moment? Like how did you deal then with the ones who were pushing you? Like as I understand, there were like organizations around you which pushed you very hard, which wanted, everyone wanted something of uh, Rosemary. And how did, you, how did you handle then the situation? How were you able to make these people aware that also you have your limits? In work, you have to set priorities. That means in the morning, uh, you even in very small, I made my list or I looked through my program of a day and I just had to sweep off what wasn't absolutely necessary. That How did you do that? I, I, I find it terribly hard to sweep off things. It is. It is there is any, hard. no recipe? You have, it's, it's a survival. Or you survive, or you do not survive. Okay. So you are pressed by that. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it gives you, in a way, what would I say, you learn it. I mean, even now when, when I get in one day 40 mails, I think, oh la la, also, <laughs> is that necessary for an old woman? Yeah. And then take out the, the ones which are really important. Then I make three classes, mm -hmm. the priority class, then the middle class, and then the class who can wait. Okay. Or you just delete them? Not when it is a personal message. Okay. When no. it's personal, then you always When, read when them, I'm addressed as Rosemary Mejo, yeah. then you get an answer. Okay. But maybe and, a little bit later. Yeah. yeah. But when you like to buy, uh, sell something which is not important, then mm -hmm. I, of course, it's deleted. So 
My final question, and uh, I know it's like not a very, very uh, one you will like, but maybe you still give me an answer to it. And I just have to ask this question with someone who has experienced so much. If you would live your life again, would you do something differently? No. I think that's very hard to, see, to decide if you could make a change or if you would have changed. Of course, there are a lot of knots in this live stream where you could have made another decision. For example, in the education, could have gone to university, um, founding a family. But there were always obstacles which were, in a way, too large or too difficult. And there were so many other things to do. So I have one regret in, in my life that is that I do not have my own children. But this was a destiny mm -hmm. that I couldn't have that. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not the one who is then sitting on the and chair and, and, uh, yeah. and you actually got children, like from yes. your brother. Yeah, that's what is really a gift, and I was very happy about it. That's one thing, and I have six godchildren. Mm -hmm. And now the children of your generation, they like to have these stories told us. I'm, I'm quite a good storyteller for children. And they are very interested in that. Oh, they love that. <laughs> and how do you deal with this generation which is completely different than you, but still so close? Like, how do you deal with, like, if your grandchildren are playing on their phones or on their, if they are, like, always online, how do you deal with that? Is that something you just accept or, like, because it interferes with the value how to treat other people and maybe you want to give them something on their way, I believe? How do you do, how do, you do that? Well, I have some rules. Okay. And I think if I make, in my age, the effort, to cook for eight persons or something like that, they should really sit at the table and make a good conversation and eat my products. <laughs> or admire them, at least. <laughs> and that, that, that means I had only... My great-nephew was a little bit very much concerned with his iPhone. I said, um, I think we leave that uh, with your, with your uh, mantle, with your jacket outside. At the moment when you sit at the table, we would like to have your opinion. Mm -hmm. And then when he, <laughs> he just his eyes. <laughs> he started to cry. No, 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 no. But he was no, very no, disappointed. No, uh, nearly uh, slept. Oh, okay. <laughs> when he had the second course, then I said, um, would you like to go to the toilet? Five minutes. Then he said, oh, yes. And then he went to the toilet and then, toilet, he, and then he, came, and then he took his phone and then he came back again and then he was happy and the phone was, was on my, his jacket. in the entrance yeah. of my... Uh, but you didn't accept a phone at your table when you were cooking no, for all of them. That's, that's, that's really, one of the rules. That's firm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I try to be in this part. 
Yeah. And, I think and they, they accepted it. I think so. Like when you are very clear with the rules, I think that's yeah. something that helps. Like there was a generation which said that their rules are not necessary or where everything should be free and everything should... No yes, rules. Yeah. <laughs> I can even remember that when I was brought up. But I think that people need rules and boundaries to, to organize themselves, to know what, what is my place and what do people ex uh, expect of me. I didn't force them to have the rules for their life. I only tried to explain them that in my household, mm -hmm. that's the rule. Mm -hmm. That's the entrance fee. They have to pay. Yeah. yeah. Is there any final remark you would like to make for our audience? Something you would like to share? I would like to thank you. That was a unique and very positive experience to have. Uh, this speech with you and I think your generation and my generation will fit together very well and we should do some more active uh, planning because it's necessary we have to solve a lot of problems in our world at the moment and I think together we could do something and we could change it and we could probably give some support that we build a better world we can't go on like that that's very much true. If there are people out there who are now watching this episode and would like to reach out to you, what's the easiest way if they have an idea or something like female founders who think that they could learn from you, what's the easiest way to get in touch with you? They just send me a mail. An email. And then as usual, I make my... Your classification. Try to sort them, sort them out, yes. One, two, three. Okay, so the, the advice is to these people, they have to make sure that they are in class one and then they yes. will get an answer. So you are I'm open trying. that we will share the email I'm, address with I'm these people. I'm absolutely open and I'm very happy to know and to see also that my contacts are still going through different generations. I do not have only all these. <laughs> you are still connected to the young ones. Yeah. Yes. And anyway, I'm in, I'm in an age where I lose them also. Right. So it's good to replace them with a younger generation. Rosemary, thank you so much for taking the time with us. And I hope to see you again okay. soon. Yes, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The whole technical equipment. <laughs> thank you.